Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Thank you, Lord, that you died for us, Father, that you have lived for us tonight. Thank you, Father, that you are victory in our lives. And that, Father God, that when we pray, you lean in. And, Father, when we sing, you just get a big old grin on your face, God. And, Father, we thank you that what you've done for us, God, lives on for eternity. And you purchased victory for us. Hallelujah. And while your hands are up like this, turn them over like this. Get ready to receive in this place. I want to, this, is, this prayer is called a declaration prayer. So have a mindset of receiving in this, okay? So, Father God, we come to you tonight in prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. And our declaration is that we choose to be overcomers in Christ. Father, we surrender ourselves to the journey you have set aside for us. And, Lord, we choose to press into the mark of the prize, which is the high calling of Jesus. We declare as a result of our life in response to your commands, God. It will be said of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, all of us in this place and on the stream tonight choose to partake of the promises associated with being an overcomer in Christ. And Lord, we declare and speak them over our life. And Lord, along with the overcomers from the church of Ephesus, it will be given to us to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, along with the overcomers from the church of Smyrna, we will not be hurt by the second death. Along with the overcomers from the church of Pergamos, it will be given to us to eat of the hidden manna. We thank you, Father, that we receive a white stone, and on that stone a name that no one knows, but only the one who receives it. Along with the overcomers from the church of Thyatira, it will be given we will be given power over the nations with Jesus. We will rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. Father, we also receive the morning star along with the overcomers from the church of Sardis. We will retain garments that are not defiled. We will walk worthy of you, Lord, in white garments of righteousness. My name will not be blotted out of the book of life, and you, Lord Jesus, confess my name before the Father. Along with the overcomers from the church of Philadelphia, we will be made a pillar in the temple of God and shall go out no more. And upon us, it will be written, the name of my God. Hallelujah. The name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God. Upon Jesus, we will also write his new name. Along with the overcomers from the church of Laodicea, it will be granted to us to sit 
with Jesus upon his throne as he overcame and sat down with the Father upon his throne. We declare, Father, tonight in this place, these promises over our life. And if you can agree with that, say, in Jesus' name, I receive it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, welcome to the mid, everybody. Slap somebody real gently five upon their mitts, and the youth can be excused out of here. Whew. It's a little warm in here. Thank you for your book, sir. Mine has... Uh, All right, you gang, welcome to the midweek service. It's week, it's week one. <laughs> it's week one and you're stuck with me, so praise the Lord. It's not like you don't hear my voice enough. But we'll have some fun tonight because we are going to do part two of uh, the parallels between the Jewish wedding and our relationship with Jesus. And it's, uh, we started this a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, Jesus himself refers, uh, refers to himself as the bridegroom multiple times through Scripture. Um, you know, when we were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the uh, parable of the ten virgins and how it's just a clear picture of the church today waiting for its bridegroom to come and get it. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle refers to Christ as the husband uh, of a believing church. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a believing church, not a deceiving church. It says in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved his church and gave himself for her. That's why when uh, I do marriage counseling, I reference this verse and I say, until you can give yourself for her, like put her needs before your needs, before anything that you do, she comes first, right? Give yourself for her. It goes on in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse himself. There's words missing. <laughs> it's too close. That's all right. I'll read it over here. He said that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. If you're a husband in here, good thing. Speak the word over your bride. Amen. It's always a good thing that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a glorious church? Well, no, with no, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And if you're in this place, say, I received that. I am holy without blemish. So the imagery and symbolism of marriage is put all through the Bible from Genesis to maps. It's applied to Christ. It's applied to the church. Um, you remember, the church is comprised of believing people, right? Comprised of those who have trusted in Jesus as their personal Lord and received eternal life, right? The redeemed, they call them, okay? So... Christ, the bridegroom, has uh, sacrificially and lovingly chose 
us, the church, say, I receive it. I'm going to take that. I can't sit down and do this. What a dumb idea. Put that chair here. Whoever, whoever put that here is fired. Kick it. Throwing chair throwing. Never mind. So the first thing to know, we're going to do a comparison and contrast, all right? We got Jesus, his Father, over here, and the Holy Spirit, right? And then we got the church over here. So we're going to draw a comparison. So if we look at a Jewish wedding, I don't know if you've ever been to one, but they're really a lot of fun. There is so much symbolism and so much uh, things in there that are just amazing. And you can just see Jesus and his church they're going to be married, right? We're all going to a wedding. Isn't that going to be fun? Right? Weddings are fun, especially Jewish weddings because they couldn't last for weeks, right? So there's two things to note. There's two stages. This is kind of what we went over last time in our traditional Jewish wedding. There's the kedushin, the betrothal process, right? This is when uh, the couples are set apart. They're dedicated to each other. We said we could call it betrothed, right? If we, we know the Christmas story, Mary and was betrothed to Joseph. That means that they had done this part. They're like, hey, we're getting married. And, and what it is is that uh, we're going to collect up this thing. And we, you know, most of the time these are arranged marriages. It's like, you're going to marry her. Sorry, Mike, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> so you can see how the friction already starts, right? So here's what happens is that this is a period of intention and preparation. The husband... The husband comes to the bride, offers a bride price. Oh, all right. So let me, let me see if I got a bride price here. Let me see. I got credit cards. I got receipts. Let me see. Okay, got a bride price right here. Okay, here's my bride price. So if Dom's going to marry Christine, which would be awkward, and... Teresa would have something to say as well as Mike probably. Do you see how big he is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what happens is Dom comes to the bride. I guess I should be over here, right? And he pays this price for his bride. Then they sign a contract and they split apart, okay? Think about the symbolism in this. Jesus left his home in heaven, came to the earth, chose to give his life as the bride price for the church, right? It was a steep bride price in his blood. And the bride, that's all the, the bride has to do is collect the gift and get ready for the marriage, right? Because once he pays the price, like Jesus came to the earth, paid the price, and then he went to build a house for her, okay? We'll, we'll get into this more in a minute. In the meantime... The bride, the church, would be collecting a dowry or a gift to bring into the marriage, right? If we, if we look at, at 1 Corinthians 6, 11, I'm not going to read it, but it's, it's uh, um, the gift that the bride brings is the Holy Spirit that was given to us by Jesus, right? Uh, the, the word allos, I will bring another one of the same kind, right? So she's doing all this stuff, and she's preparing herself. And she is staying faithful the whole time, right? Church people staying faithful to the bridegroom the whole time. The whole time he's gone. And it's been a minute, right? 2,022 years or more. 
at least. So it's been a minute. But uh, what happens is the bride has to prepare herself in a called a titch, right? It's a bridal reception. During this reception, uh, the bride would go into this, it's called a mikvah. It's basically a bathtub, and she would bathe in this bathtub. And that's a cleansing power that takes place in this bathtub. And it's a ceremonial bath. And then she receives some, like, makeup, or they call it henna ink on her body for protection and for beauty. Now, this is where the ten virgins parable jumps in. Because there's ten virgins, not all of them are ready to participate, right? Some of them aren't paying attention. Some of them don't have oil in their lamps. Some of them are asleep, right? So it's important to know that we are to remain faithful and we are to... Uh, the ceremonial bath uh, could uh, represent baptism, could represent Jesus washing us in his blood. That's 1 Corinthians 6.11. And then the Holy Spirit comes and protects believers and marks them. The Bible says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So that's the mark after the, the ceremonial bath. Then the Talmud explains this uh, Mishka Kedushin, is dedication, right? And, and this takes place, and it's symbolic of Christ on our behalf. Jesus left his home, came here, paid the price for his bride, paid the, the bride price, right? And then he's back waiting uh, for the father. Notice that the groom doesn't even decide. The bridegroom doesn't decide when to go get his wife. The groom's father decides when to go get his wife by looking by thinking just whenever he thinks that they are ready he goes right so jesus came and he paid that price in his blood first corinthians seven twenty three, for you were bought with the price do not become slaves to men jesus had paid this blood price for us right and then um this the new covenant that was established in his blood is that it's called a ketubah and it's um the bride is sanctified or set apart for him. Kind of rushing through this because we had talked about all this already, right? Uh, with this ketubah, he's sanctified to him in and, and 1 Corinthians 6.11 again. And such were some of you that you were washed, you were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord by the Spirit of God. Communion that we did last Sunday, right, is the wine is symbolic of the covenant in his blood that he obtained for his bride. So we've got this caduceus. The second part is the consummation of the marriage. It's called nis, nisuin. And it's, it's translated elevation. Think about that for a second. Where is Jesus going to meet his church? In the air, right? More about that in a minute. So it was routine that uh, this binding agreement and, and the wife has already been considered her husband's bride, right? That's not like a, a, when Michelle and I got engaged, we just said, hey, we're engaged. We're not married yet, but we're engaged, right? That's not the way this worked. Once this contract signed, this betrothal is done, they're basically legally married, but they haven't consummated the marriage yet. That's where this nisuin comes in, and, and the the bridegroom is gone constructing the home and this is the metaphorical truth we've seen it in John 14 
right, where Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. That word mansion isn't big house. That's just big place. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jewish marriage, the guy would come the and pay the bride price. He would leave, could be gone for up to a year, could be longer. But while he's gone, in Jewish culture, they usually built onto the back of the parents' house. It's like, Michelle would love this. She didn't have all her kids in one place. They would just build onto the rest of the house, and until that project was done, they'd stayed apart. The father, again, would make the decision, go get your bride. Then it was just a whole mess of stuff that happened after that. When the time came to go get his bride, uh, he would be accompanied by uh, like hundreds of people. In Jewish culture, in this day, they would actually have people that they would pay to do this. They would be like the escorts that would just come and they would be clamoring and shouting and there would be a huge celebration going on and you could see this bridegroom walking down the street with this like probably a hundred people just around him just shouting and it's like going to be a party. It's going to be a great thing that's taken on and and, and he would announce, the father would announce with a shout that the bridegroom was there to get his bride. Where have you heard that before, right? So tonight we're going we're gonna to focus on the second stage of this wedding, uh, which has a lot of parables, or parables, a lot of parallels to believers' relationship in Christ, right? This nusin, nusian, right? When we're committed to each other. And uh, once the contract has been put together, there is uh, um, and signed and witnessed by everybody who has to do it. There's a lot of different details that have to happen. The, the ketubah is called the signing and being witnessed of this covenant um, is basically for us in the new covenant. That's, that's what we do. We seal it with baptism, right? The symbol is communion. And, and then we're, we're in the family. And then Christ, when we're, when we're born again and baptized, Christ uh, clothes us in garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. And this is, this is from Isaiah 61 is where they get it in verse 10. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness somebody should say amen right there because no matter what your past looks like you are covered in righteousness and for some of us with a past i can say thank you jesus right because that's bad news covered me with me me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels so they come they focus on this thing he covers her with this robe and this veil and it represents our robe of righteousness right the bedeckin a veiling ceremony and then he prepares this chupa thing it's called it's like a like an easy up but smaller and taller and they, the bride and groom get married underneath this thing. It's really kind of silly because it's made out of like four sticks and got a little roof on it. But it is very representative because it's covered on the top, but the sides are open. And it, it represents, it's very representative 
of the body of Christ because it's a family atmosphere, right? Our church, we always try, this church, we always try to focus on family, right? We want everybody to feel like they're important here. Well, this, this chupa thing is like four sticks with this little roof, and uh, the husband and br- the bridegroom and the bride are underneath this thing for their ceremony, and it represents the body of Christ, but the sides are open because all of us know, right, we've been, we've been told the, the Great Commission, our life with Christ is supposed to be openly shared with everybody around us. Right? A lot of times we end up, it's just my four and no more. I don't really care what's going on in the world. But in Jewish culture, in their wedding ceremony, it's open to everyone. There's no sides on the building. And it's, it's like, uh, you know, Jesus said in Matthew, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's our lives, when we follow Jesus, is supposed to be an open book, right? And representative of who he is by the way we are, right? It hasn't always been like that for me. It's been pretty frustrating sometimes. It's like, what are we doing here? I, I'm just, you know, I am not the one eight, one eight, Acts 1-8 guy today, right? where we receive power and the Holy Spirit's come upon us and we shall be witnesses. We talked about that on Sunday. What's a witness do, right? Tells the, hopefully, truth about the change that's happened or that something that's happened, right? So when the bride shows up underneath this little stick hut thing with the open sides, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but she walks around her bridegroom three times. It's really kind of silly. She walks around him three times. And it's representative of God's three-time promise to betroth his people to himself in Hosea, right? If you've ever read Hosea and the story how the prostitute and its type and shadow of God the Father and, and the church, and she's a prostitute and she keeps cheating on them, and then there's kids, and then she cheats, and then there's kids. In Hosea chapter 2, he says, I will betroth to you, you to me forever, Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. Remember who she is. Gomer, I think her name is, to be blessed with that name, right? But he's betrothed you to me in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know that I am the Lord. That's kind of a cool verse, that Lord... You look at God the Father in the Old Testament. This isn't even right after the cross. But here's God betrothing himself, giving himself to an unfaithful, lying, cheating, you know, spouse who, who's, you know, she got a background. She was a working girl, all this stuff. But yeah, here's God. He's, he's, he's handing it over in righteousness and in justice and loving kindness and mercy betrothing himself to that. That's a picture of God the Father and his church, right? Then in the, in the ceremony, the groom places a ring on the finger of the bride, right? We've all seen this in most of our weddings. He says, behold, by this ring, you are consecrated to me as my wife according to the law of Moses and Israel, right? 
and, and uh, the wife receiving the ring is an outward symbol of her relationship to her husband and is similar to the Christian receiving the Holy Spirit, never-ending round circle or seal guaranteeing our inheritance. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after you trusted in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's amazing. That, that's something that I think a lot of times we forget as Christians, that, well, number one, there was a price paid for you, and number two, we're sealed. I mean, if you, if you do the seal o meal deal, right, the old Ronco seal o meal, you ain't getting that sucker off there, right, without a knife, without some work. So if we think about the Holy Spirit being in us, we are sealed like that. That's amazing. He says in verse 14, who is the uh, guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession who is the praise of his glory. That verse used to freak me out, and then I, I studied it out. And it's amazing because uh, it was, it was um, the story I heard about it. It was the down payment for the coming of Christ, for his second coming. The Holy Spirit was given to us. We were sealed with it. And then the Holy Spirit was the down payment to function in the earth until he comes. Isn't that good? That is good stuff right there. So he's, uh, that was like the ring that was put on the bride, uh, sealing and guaranteeing the bridegroom and her being together with never-ending circle of love, right? Now, the words spoken... Uh, at, the, at that ring ceremony were, were similar to John 17 when Jesus himself says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Talking to his Father, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. He's telling them, you know, I'm just going to love these people until the very, very end. After the ring ceremony, there is a blessing spoken over the couple. And this, this, uh, this blessing, in, uh, I listened to it in Hebrew, and it was just amazing. And I know just about enough Hebrew to really be stupid and, and kind of lose it, right? But you can pick out the words, right? The, the Elohims and the, the, the Shemas and the Shamas and all that stuff. But I'm going to read the seven blessings called the Shiva Brachat. And they are recited, reflecting the themes of Jewish marriage and God's role in that. So if you wanted to receive these tonight, these seven blessings that are spoken in a Jewish wedding, you can look them up online and read them every day or pray them over your own life. It goes like this. This is the English translation of the Shiva Brachat. He says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has created all things for his glory. It's really a blessing spoken over the couple, but it's really a blessing to God, isn't it? He says, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, creator of man. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who created man in his image, in the image of and of his likeness, he fashioned him, his form, and he prepared for him from his own self an everlasting edifice. Blessed are you, Lord, creator of man. 
May the barren one, Jerusalem, rejoice and be happy at the gathering of her children in her midst, in joy. Blessed are you, Lord, who gladdens Zion with her children. Grand abundant joy to these loving friends as you bestowed gladness upon your created being in the Garden of Eden of old. Blessed are you, Lord, who gladdens the groom and bride. And the last of the seven says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who created joy and happiness, groom and bride, gladness, jubilation, cheer and delight, love, friendship, harmony, and fellowship. Lord our God, let there be speedily be heard in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem the sound of joy and the sound of happiness, the sound of a groom and the sound of a bride, the sound of exultation of grooms under their shepherd and their use from their joyous banquets. Blessed are you, Lord, who gladdens the groom with his brides. You can see these seven blessings and prayers are glorifying God for his creation and the work in the couple's life. And we can just think in heaven that God could be speaking those blessings over you and you just not even know it, right? And, and they kind of parallel what it says in Romans 15, you know, where he says uh, from uh, verse 4 through 6, Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says, For whatever things were written before uh, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Right? That's a blessing to speak over your kids, that we can have this over our life. Right? Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's impressive. The ceremony ends after all of these blessings and, and stuff bestowed on the couple. It ends with the breaking of the glass, right? You've all seen that. They wrap it up in that thing and they slam it. I was like, why, why did they do that? And that's just the craziest thing. Well, it has significance. It reminds the couple that there's going to be sorrow and joy in their life. Uh, some believe it's representative of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Uh, some scholars believe that it could represent what's broken in our society and sticking together through the hard times until the pieces of glass are reassembled, right? Which would mean, you know, the end. Uh, then after that, the couple re retreats to a, um, a secluded place for about 20 minutes. It's called a uh, yasid. And, and the whole crowd waits. And in, I found out, <laughs> it was kind of weird, but I found out in culture, they used, it used to have to go and consummate the marriage. But they don't do that anymore. <laughs> it would be like weird, wouldn't it? be like, where'd they go? Uh, never mind. They'll be back in a minute. <laughs> You know, have, have a drink, sit down, be quiet, right? So anyway, that takes place, and then they come back, and then there's just a huge party uh, that takes place um, with the parents, with the family. Some other blessings are bestowed on the kids by their parents. And, uh, you know, that thing, just taking off for a minute and getting away from the, you know, on your wedding day, how much of a thing that can be. I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, it would be great just to, like, it's great. Michelle and I always try to, like, disappear for a 
couple of days, every couple of months, once a quarter. Just get away, right? She was just in Austin and came back. And, you know, we just sometimes in life, it's okay to just step out. I'm going to go someplace and not answer my phone. You're going to be okay, all right? <laughs> you know, tell your kids, we're leaving. I would suggest telling somebody you're leaving because they'd be like, where are you? Be like, shut up, I'm on vacation, right? So an important message. And finally, there's a reception filled with dancing, eating, and entertaining. There's several breaks. There's several food breaks in there. There's several other things that take place. Again, father and the, and the mother pronounce blessings over their children. Um, glasses, two glasses of wine are shared by the, each. And the way they do it, they don't like go do the thing, right? They pour them together and share them as one as they leave their parents and cleave to each other, right? So all of this tonight to tell you this. In Revelation, the book of Revelation shares how there's going to be a wedding ceremony beyond belief and how there's going to be a clamoring and a shouting that takes place when the bridegroom comes for his bride. And, and just as they become one in, in culture, the church and and Jesus are going to become one together in the sky, and it's going to be uh, uh, quite the scene, and it's going to be very exciting. Uh, the, the bridegroom has been separated from his church for a long time, right, like 2,000 plus years. First uh, Thessalonians 4.17 says, uh, then we who are alive and remain, right, church, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The word there uh, that we started with, the Hebrew word, means elevate to the earth, off the earth, right? And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We don't know when this is going to happen, so quit trying to figure it out. <laughs> I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's like, he's convinced it's going to happen this week. And I'm like, nah, I don't know about that. I would go ahead and pay your mortgage before, you know, things get crazy. And then we'll, uh, we'll go from there, right? So nobody knows when this is going to happen, but I like when Chase was uh, teaching that end time series. He would, he would end every service with wait, pray, and watch, I think he was saying, Right? So after this bride is whisked from her home and taken to her father's house, they, they seclude for seven days in culture, just like the church is going to be hidden away after this reception for seven years uh, during the prophesied tribulation. I don't know if you're into the pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, you know, get in the crib, trib, whatever you want to do, trib. Uh, but uh, the Bible tells us that the church will be hidden for a period of seven years. After the seven years, the bride comes out of her chamber un unveiled, and the church re returns to the earth. New Jerusalem shows up in Colossians 3, 4. It says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Come on, somebody. I'm going to be in that. I'm going to be right in the front. I'm going to be watching and laughing at everybody trying to figure this out. At James 4, 4, that's all God asks from any of us through this whole process is to stay full, faithful, a pure devotion to Christ. That's all he asks from us. Let's all stand together.
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to bridgechurchutah.com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.